Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. He is worthy. Come on, stand up on your feet. Let's take a 10-second praise break. Get your praise out today. If God's been good to you, take a moment and give him a shout. 10 seconds of praise. Come on, lift up your praise. Come on, don't stop. 10 seconds of praise. Give him a praise today. Come on. Hallelujah. Don't stop over there. Five more seconds. Let's go. Amen. Come on. If he's been good, touch five people around you. We ain't got no COVID around here no more. Touch five people. Say God is good today. Have a seat. Welcome all of you that are watching online. Great to be in God's house today. I am excited about our youth coming back from Soul Fire. That is legit revival that is going on. This is not just a temporary thing. God is going to use what he did there to change our schools this year. Something is coming, and it's not just limited to them either. So you see them excited, you get excited. Can I get an amen from someone here today? Amen. Well, we are finishing up our Summer Flicks series, and it has been a really fun summer and we've got to do some bye kids let's give our kids a big hand they got to come in and hang out and watch watch bowser it's been a fun series uh got, got to talk about some really cool movies if you're wondering what summer flicks is or why you know a lot of times if, if a church if you see them doing something like that you're like oh they're just compromising god's word I, I understand that some people think that's what it is but it's really not that idea at all i think in the summertime we take a chance to look at some of the things that are popular in culture, movies that people love and that know about that are big, not necessarily, not necessarily recommending those movies, but we try to analyze what is it about those films that draw people to them so much. And then we take the Bible and we'll talk about some of the principles in the film that maybe culture embraces or things that, that culture fails to uh, mention in those movies and see what the Bible has to say about those things. So we're gonna do that today and close it down with a movie that I really loved, I thought was a great uh, movie. Uh, I just, I'll talk about in a minute why I thought it was so cool, but uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31 is actually our text, and, and we'll see, you'll see how this is relevant in a moment when I explain it all, but it's this, it says this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. So today in our Summer Flick series, I'm talking about the movie Super Mario Bros. And uh, my message is called Power Up, Power Up. So Father, thank you for this time together. We pray in Jesus' name that above all else, that the power of the Holy Spirit would be here today, encouraging us, building us up. I pray for people watching online. I pray for people that are in this room that need a miracle right now. We declare and believe that you are the God of miracles. Let your healing be prevalent in this place. For people that are facing a diagnosis uh, or, or people that are dealing with physical illness in their bodies, we speak life over them. Lord, we believe that Jesus went to the cross for a purpose. We believe in Isaiah 53 and five. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities and with his stripes we are healed. That's not just an idea that we throw around, it's the foundation of what we believe you did for us. So we appropriate that by putting our faith in your name today. Let miracles happen in this room, God, and let your word come alive and be an encouragement to everyone that hears it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So Super Mario uh, Bros movie is really fun for me because I was born, I'm my 
birthday's tomorrow, I turn 51. So I, I, as I grew up, I got to see video games really kind of invented, like, like they were put into the marketplace as I was a little kid. And uh, every week, you know, we lived in Alabama, in Adamsville, we lived up on the top of this hill, and down at the bottom of this hill was a restaurant called Jay's Drive-In, and my parents would give me like a quarter a day to go play a video game, and I always used to play Pac-Man or Space Invaders or Pinball, but I remember a command, Missile Command. Uh, th- those were all just, I grew up loving video games. So I remember when Donkey Kong came out, that's the introduction of the character of Mario. So Mario became a huge fixture uh, of, of the video game world and the foundation of like Nintendo, like what they were, the way you know, Walt Disney's Mickey Mouse are kind of synonymous, like Mario is sort of synonymous with Nintendo. That world is built around him, but he was originally designed in that Donkey Kong game just as the character that you play with. It wasn't as much about Mario as you were trying to fight against Donkey Kong. He was just sort of this ancillary character. And as a matter of fact, Luigi was not even made as Luigi. Luigi was just Mario's character that was green. So one player would be red and blue. The two player would be green so that there was some contrast. He was never named Luigi until after Donkey Kong became popular, and they sort of started saying, well, what if we made this his brother, and then create characters, and he's a plumber, and then you kind of come up with all these storylines and develop it, and it looks like they planned it from the beginning. But what I love about this movie is that in this movie, he's just a normal guy, just a a plumber. I think that's just trying to be like the everyday guy, and he's just a, a, a loyal person that loves his family. He's hardworking, good at his job, but he gets teleported in the movie through this pipe to an alternate dimension where Bowser, this evil person, is trying to destroy everyone and uh, and Bowser kidnaps uh, Luigi because he sees Mario as a threat to his beloved Princess Peach. I wonder if I'm the only pastor that sang peaches today in church in America. (laughs) Maybe, who knows, but I'm the only pastor that preached on John Wick 4 last week and sang peaches today. That's a guarantee, I can promise you that. (laughs) Anyways, he he, he kidnaps uh, Luigi uh, because he sees Mario as a love interest threat to Peach, Peach, Princess Peach, who he's in love with. Uh, So Mario has to use all of his skill sets to accomplish this task of of defeating Bowser, but even that is not enough. In the movie, he needs something, and it's something that in the video game is pretty central to the video video game, but in the movie, it's central as well, and he needs something called power-ups. My message today is called power-ups, and the idea of power-ups or power-ups are items that are specific in the Mario games that transform our hero from a normal person into dozens of different forms to help him on his journey. So the concept of power-up, so in the movie uh, alone, there is the super mushroom power-up that enlarges the person's entire body limb by limb. I find Oreos to be very similar to that to me. Like Oreos, when I eat them, just every, my, I just grow, you know, it's just like, I, I just get bigger. And, and, and so I got to watch out how much I'm doing, doing with the Oreos. Uh, super mushroom, it gives them the ability to jump higher. I haven't noticed that with Oreos. Even through blocks made of bricks, uh, there's fire flowers and ice flowers. Fire flowers, uh, you're able then to shoot fireballs in any direction. Uh, ice is kind of cool. You can shoot ice, in any form of ice, or freeze your opponent in the movie. Then you've got the, the blue, uh, the, you've got the tanuki suit, 
that allows the user to fly and perform a tail whipping attack. I think Mario has this at the end of the movie uh, when he's rescuing Luigi. You've got the cat suit, which in, 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 in I think the cat suit allows you to have cat-like skills, and he uses this when he's fighting Donkey Kong in the movie. You've got the blue shell, which lets you shoot a destructive, exploding shell at enemy racers. Uh, he uses this on Rainbow Road. Whoever's in first place, it knocks him out. Then you've got the superstar, which gives you super strength, super speed, super jump, and vulnerability to all attacks, including, including Bowser's fire breath. So power-ups take an ordinary person and temporarily make them powerful enough to accomplish an extraordinary task. Okay, now, you're like, okay, what, 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 is that? I mean, what does that really have to do with anything having to do with church? Well, I, I, I view it like this. When I look at Acts chapter one, and I think about the concept that the last thing a person says to you when they leave is pretty important. And even growing up, my dad taught me that you know, if you meet with someone and you ever talk with someone, always pay attention to what they say last because that's typically the, the thing that they were waiting to talk to you about. That's the most important thing. You can have someone that says, oh, I just really want to hang out with you, just want to have lunch with you. And you have lunch, you're like, oh, this is so fun. They just want to hang out. At the end, they're like, I need $45,000 tomorrow. It's like, you know, it's like, whoa. Okay, I don't know if you really want to have lunch or not, but I know that that's what you really want to say and you waited to the end. It's like the last thing that someone says is very important. What is the last thing that Jesus said on planet Earth before he ascended? And when I say ascended, I mean literally like Superman. Like it's where that concept, it's the earliest thing we can find in literature of someone like ascending and flying like that. So this is like all the, all the myths that have been created since then came from something that actually happened when Jesus said something and after he said it, he flies up in the air and disappears and is like, is gone until he comes back again. That's the, that's the last time we see. And what is the last thing he said? It's, it's no, that's, a, that's actually a good guess. That's what he said on the cross. That, 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 that is good. Uh, it shows you're, 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 you understand what he said. What he said, but this is this is after his resurrection. So yes, the, it is finished. The last thing he said before he died, but when he was resurrected and he came back and he appeared to everyone, he, he, the last thing he says is this: Acts chapter one, verses seven through nine. He says, "You will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus was promising that the Holy Spirit was coming, and when the Holy Spirit comes, he's gonna take ordinary people, and he is going to empower us to be able to share the message of the gospel with people, and it is going to transform lives. And oh, was that ever true? As a matter of fact, it was said of that tiny group of disciples Someone later called them, a major leader said, are these not the men who have turned the world upside down? A, a, a group of fishermen with no education literally changed and transformed the entire world. The power that Jesus was talking about after he talked about power-ups, he literally talked about power-ups, but real ones. Yeah. Then he, it's the last thing he says. So I think we need to lean in when we think about the last thing Jesus said and find out, so I know what you're thinking right now. So I want you to just look at the person sitting next to you and say what you're thinking. And I'll just, I'll phrase it for you so you don't have to be creative. Just look at them and say, power-ups are real? Tell someone, say, power-ups are real? Yeah, they're real. As a matter of fact, when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is what our text is in, 
the text that I started out with, that's the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. All of chapter 12 talks about spiritual gifts, gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit that are supernatural gifts that we should have in operation in our life. And by the way, there are a lot of people who teach something called cessationism. When you think of that cessation, like something ceases to happen, so cessationism teaches that the gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned by Jesus and are mentioned by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 are no longer active or appropriate for church people to use, that it passed away and died with the apostles. We don't believe that here. I don't believe that. I am not a cessationist at all. I believe it's a very weak way of viewing the Bible. It's, I think it's a, a way of having to use no faith uh, in, your, in your active Christian life and just to say, oh, well, it's just too hard to do that and I'll just rather focus on other things. So I think that Jesus was ta- Paul was talking about something very important in 1 Corinthians 12 is the gifts that we are supposed to have as Christians. Then in, ver- in chapter 14, he not, so I'm, I'm skipping 13 deliberately. In 12, he talks about all of them. In 14, he comes back and says, now this is how you should use them in church. So church is not crazy where people are just shouting out all over the place and just one person is prophesying and people are, healings are going on over here while someone's trying to pre. He said there has to be order. So all of 14 is about how to appropriately use gifts in the Christian world so that it's not crazy. But in between 12 and 14, chapter 13 is all about the subject of love. Isn't that interesting? So we see here that he talks about these power-ups in in chapter 12. What are they? I don't think that the gifts of the Spirit are these like really weird, strictly supernatural things that there has to be some, you have to get hyped up to use them. Like, okay, here we go. Word of knowledge is coming, it's coming. I don't think it's like that. I think that they're actually incredibly practical, not just practical, but necessary for an effective day-to-day life. I want the gifts of the Spirit in operation in my life at all times, every day, what are they? Word of knowledge. Word of knowledge is when the Lord tells you something. He shares something with you that is not part of the normal communication. It's not part of the normal process of gaining knowledge. It's supernatural. He'll put something in your spirit. He'll, t- he'll tell you something that wasn't told to you by anyone else. I need that in my life. Word of wisdom is supernatural, Holy Spirit-given wisdom. And it's how to accomplish something, how to make something work when it didn't work before, how to do something better, how to do something more efficiently. It's not just natural wisdom. It's by the Spirit. Can someone say amen? The gift of prophecy is not simply just predicting something. But prophecy also is encouragement. When we look at what the definition biblically is of prophecy, it's something that's edifying and uplifting. So I need prophetic in my life on a day-to-day basis, the gift of faith. I'm not talking about the faith that I just naturally possess. I'm talking about the gift of faith that comes by the Holy Spirit. That's a power-up. The gift of healing. There are people that just flow in the gift of healing, and they're able to pray with people and have the faith to use that gift, and people get healed. I need that in my life. The working of miracles, just truly miraculous things that work out that are not a physical miracle necessarily, but a true miracle. I want to see that in my life on a daily basis. Discerning of spirits. What is discerning of spirits? That's when my spirit knows something is off or something is right with someone. You ever met somebody before and they're saying all the right things, they're doing all the right things, but in your spirit, some goes, nah, not for me. No, nah, no, nah, I ain't going. Like you can just tell there's something off in, in your spirit. That's discernment. Uh, different kinds of tongues, diverse 
tongues, different types of tongues. So I think that that can be everything from multiple languages to, uh, to speaking in tongues, like praying in your prayer language. I need, so I think that's really important. Some people uh, in certain situations can use diverse types of tongues and they'll speak in a language that they don't know and people understand, but also your prayer language is diverse kinds of tongues. I need that on a daily basis. Interpretation of tongues is, is a very powerful uh, gift that I think sometimes just being able to connect with someone and understand what they're saying or even supernaturally when someone speaks in tongues, God might give you an interpretation through that. I think these are more practical than we make them out to be. But uh, chapter 12 talks about those power-ups. Then it lists some more power-ups at the end of the chapter. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healing, helpers, people that give guidance. It re-mentions different kinds of tongues again. That's, that's, that must be pretty important, so I think we should consider that. And at the very end of this chapter that mentions power up after, not mushrooms, not fire flowers or ice flowers, but real power ups, after it mentions all of them, it ends with this, our text. But earnestly, what does that mean? Genuinely, passionately, honestly, from your heart, earnestly desire the higher gifts. So, so young people that are passionate from soul fire desire to do those things that I just talked about. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wants to be active in your life. If you're a Christian that is living for God and you're not operating and living in those gifts, truly desire them. Ask the Lord to help you grow in those things. Practice them. You say, well, that, that just seems rehearsed. That's exactly what it's rehearsing. It's exactly what practice is. You're rehearsing it so you don't do it improperly. You, when, you learn, when you practice, you learn how to do things better. And when you were making mistakes before, you learn how to hear the voice of the Lord better. Practice them. You may not be perfect at them or even good at them when you start, but as you begin to practice the gifts of the Holy Spirit, a maturity comes in your life. After he mentions all that, he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Then he says something that doesn't make sense at first glance. At the very end of the chapter, he says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So after he's just mentioned the most excellent things that you should desire after, he said, but now I'm going to talk about something that is even better than all the gifts. Who would like to hear about that? Something that's better than all the gifts. I mean, the gifts are the thing that on this planet, if we're looking for something, we should really be looking for the gifts of the spirit. That seems like the most dynamic thing we could want. But he says there's something even better. So now let's talk about that. So first, before we do, look at someone next to you and say, power-ups are real. Okay, now say out loud to yourself. Say, but there's something even better. So what do we do? Let's go to the very next verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, the tongues of men are natural languages. So I could speak in the tongue, I could know 20 languages and be sophisticated in the way I talk, like Carlos. Carlos speaks everything. Carlos, you speak Italian, you're so frustrating. It's like you speak what? Portuguese, Italian, Spanish, English. He's too cultured. I can't hang out with this guy, it's too much. It just drives me nuts. I can speak in the, in the tongues of men and angels. So, so that's heavenly language. Whatever language they speak in heaven, whether it's tongues or, or some specific language, all we know, it's just elegant, it's wonderful, it's godly, it's holy. 
So that's pretty sophisticated to do both. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So what he is saying throughout this, and we're going to go, you're going to find out he's about to talk about love. And in case you haven't figured out where this is going, I'm going to talk about love today. I'm going to talk about how we're looking for all these powerful things in our life. But what the Bible teaches us is don't waste your time looking for powerful things if you don't have love. Because what he is trying to tell us is that the powerful things don't make a difference in anybody's life if they don't know that you're walking in and operating in true godly love. Nobody really cares what you have to say if you don't have love. And it's not representing Jesus because Jesus is love. Listen to that one more time. He says, if I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong. Baby, I wrote you a song. I will now perform it for you. Is anyone weeping from how beautiful that was? Why? Let me go do it again. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. kidding. Why do you not want me to go back up there? It's just terrible. Drummers are so offended right now. Don't be be offended. In the right moment, it's necessary. But as a solo instrument to just, just crash that sound over and over again, a cymbal, it's just awful. And what the Bible is saying is if you have all this sophistication and have language down and can say anything and you're not living in love, what you're saying sounds like that symbol to everyone else. It doesn't matter how you word it. It doesn't matter how eloquent it may seem. It just sounds just like that to everyone that's listening. It goes on to say, if I have prophetic powers... Prophetic powers, and I don't have love, I am nothing. Prophetic powers, the ability to look forward into the future and by supernatural means, by God, tell what is going to happen. And they say, oh, did you hear? He said this was going to happen. No one could have known that. He is a true prophet. But the Bible says, even though God may choose to use a prophet, by the way, he used prophets all throughout Scripture that were really weird that were very temperamental, that were suicidal, that were not good people in many regards. So just because God chooses someone doesn't mean that they're perfect or they're even a good example to follow in other areas of their life. That's really important for us to know because what it's saying is we get thrown off and think, oh, well, look at him. They're successful. He must really love God. He must treat people very well. No, God is using their gift in a way that pleases him. You better get your heart right. You make sure your heart is right. Don't get fixated on the fact that you think their heart is right. You keep your heart right. Because what God is telling us is that you can be the most gifted prophet in the world, but it gets you nothing if you're doing it without genuine and true love. Your prophecies to God sound like that symbol. It goes on. 
If I understand, so, so then it says, if I understand all mysteries, think about that. Someone that understands mysteries, that's not just knowledge, it's wisdom to figure out a mystery. It's not just knowledge, it's two different skill sets because the next one talks about knowledge and I think that there's a distinction there. So this is like the wisest person that you can imagine. It's saying that you could be a, a, a prophet, you could, you, you could be multilingual, you could be a prophet, be able to predict the future. It says you could be the wisest person in the world, just wisdom that exudes, like it's amazing to me. I've watched debates uh, for years like with really sophisticated professors and people that, that are atheists that are debating Christians and I, I, I listen to some of these guys talk that, that do not know God and I'm, I'm astounded by the, the depth of their wisdom in a general sense about life. They know so many things but they've missed the most important thing. So what the Bible is saying is you can have all the wisdom in the world and it means nothing if you don't have love. It goes on. The next one. Well, I got 5% on my battery, so we're going to find out how much I can remember from this if it dies. <laughs> it says, it, it goes on to say, if, if I understand all mysteries and knowledge. So the last part, knowledge, means education. You can have every degree that it's, that's possible to have hanging on your wall. You could be the most decorated doctor this, doctor that, got a doctor this, I'm masters of this, I've, I, I have started this organization, I have this degree, I know this, I wrote this many books. You can have all that stuff. It does not matter what it basically says, literally, is that to everyone that experiences you when you don't have love, Trying to drive it home. No love, that's what you come across like. Let me go do it again. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's what it comes across like. Most educated person, then it goes on. It says, if I have all faith, if I have all, how much faith? All faith. Literally, it's not saying fake faith, it means real faith. It means I can possess actual Christian faith, genuine faith. And it goes on, the next one, to, it says to move mountains. So not only do you have faith, you've got works that demonstrate your faith supernaturally. So even doing miracles and doing great deeds that everyone sees on the outside, incredible things that people say, look what they've done for God. Look at all these amazing things. It means you can still have all that but not have love. And what it's saying is take all that stuff and throw it in the garbage without love. Because none of it means anything, and it sounds like that to God. And he goes on to say this. Uh, but I like, by the way, I love how in that middle part that Paul phrased it when he got to the spiritual things. He changes it. And he says, and if I have all faith, and Paul was kind of cocky, so what he, what he meant is I do have all faith. <laughs> he says, as to remove mountains, which he kind of also means I do that too. Uh, and then he says, but have not love, I am nothing. So he's personalizing it, saying I wanna make sure that I get this message as well. 
For those people that love God genuinely and you have a, a, a great relationship with the Lord and you live for God and you've got great fruit in your life, you better pers- if Paul was willing to personalize it, you better personalize this message for yourself as well because you're not above this and neither am I. And he goes, goes on. He's just trying to get everybody in here. He goes on, he says, if I give away all I have, that means you can be the most generous person in the world You can do all these things and people can be shocked with your generosity. There's a lot of philanthropists out there. There's this one guy, you ever heard of this guy, Mr. Beast? My Lord, this guy gives away millions of dollars. I don't know much about him. I don't know if he loves Jesus or not. All I know is the Bible tells us, and I think it's great to give away things, and, and, and I think that there's even a lot of power in generosity in itself, not even necessarily attached. As a matter of fact, there, there, over the years, I've read about several investors that were challenged on the principle of tithing, they're not even believers, but someone said, if you tithe to a church, just track the difference in your money that is ever, you've ever accumulated in your life, track the difference between when you tithe and when you don't, and it's almost undeniable. Every single person that has ever tried it finds that giving is a blessing. So I'm not pointing out that giving is bad if it's not always for Jesus, but what I'm saying is that the Bible tells us that it doesn't accomplish, we don't earn spiritual merit through that, that generosity because it's saying you can give everything that you have away, but if you don't have love, it accomplishes nothing in the spirit. Somebody say nothing. Nada. Well, I mean, you don't have to say nada. You were thinking it. So you, you gotta you just repeat the, the regular right word. So it accomplishes nothing. Then it goes on, just in case you think there's some accomplishment that you can earn on your own that impresses God, he goes down to the very last one. He says, and if I deliver my body up to be burned. So he's saying, even if you're a martyr, if you actually give your physical life, people think that's the ultimate act. It's the the ultimate thing that a human being can do. But the Bible is teaching us here. Because Jesus says, greater love hath no man than he laid down his life for a brother. So the power of laying one's life down when it's connected to godly love is truly the ultimate beautiful thing that a person can do. But if you're simply laying down your life, but it's not out of God's love according to the way he defines it, what it's saying is there's nothing redemptive in that alone. He's trying to eliminate our options of doing valuable things if we're not willing to let God take the throne of our heart and and give love to people from a godly place. And then he goes on to talk about what love actually is. He says that it's patient. Somebody say patient. I don't think there's a lot of patience in our world right now. I mean, at what point in human history did it become appropriate When someone is sitting at a red arrow, if you're sitting at a red arrow, at what point in human history did it become appropriate to honk, not even after two seconds after it is turned, but one, I'm talking one second, like literally one second. You you can be sitting there, you can look down for a second, you change the AC and you look, oh, it it was just red a second, but you don't even have time. I can't even think sometimes to go. I'm like, what's happening? They're honking. And then they honk again because I'm not going. I'm freaking out. It's, go! And then you throw your hand out the window. Sorry! 
and they go, just go! <laughs> they don't want your apology. We're, it's not patient, right? Yeah. And we're not really patient with people either. But it says love is patient. Yeah. Love is kind. Are, are, are you patient? I mean, think about, think about patience in relationships. If you're not showing godly love, if you don't have patience, it's not godly love. I mean, you know, I'm talking about like, what did you say again? Really? What did I say? Didn't I just tell? (laughs) Yeah, I just told you the answer five seconds ago, right? Didn't I just say that? Are you okay? You're not joking, are you? Okay, fine. Next week, 10.30. That's, that's when it is. Really? Well, you forgot that. Really? Okay, wow. Ah. Can I just tell you something? Just tell them. And if somebody forgets something, just tell them again. At what point do we become so thin on our character that when people fail, I got news for you, patience is Grace. It means you've got extra grace and space for other people to fail and not be perfect. And you've got enough margin in your grace where you're making room for people to not be perfect, but for it to still be okay. You don't have to remind everybody of everything that they do wrong. And if you're in relationships, in your job, in your work, and people say something that's not perfect or not, it's having patience when people fail. Can you imagine going out and say, hey, son, you're finally old enough. Let's go out and play catch. And you throw him the ball and he drops. You go, dang it. He's like, what, daddy? Forget it. I'm not doing it. No. I'm not raising a loser. God, that's harsh, right? Where did that come from? That's like a really dark play. I, I guess the Bowser thing. Like, I don't know. That's really, that's, that's really evil. Lord, I repent of that. <laughs> But I mean, I'm just trying to use an example of like the worst patience ever when someone does something wrong. What do you do when you're teaching? You prepare. When I sit down and show someone how to play the guitar, I've done it so many dozens of times over the years or, or the piano or whatever. The first thing I'm thinking in my mind is they're just not going to be able to do this correctly at first. So let me make it as easy as possible so they can have a couple of wins here because I'm preparing for them to fail. I'm ready for it. There's grace that's there in advance. That's what love is. Love is filling up the grace tank in advance every day for people to have room and to have space. Love is kind. Love is kind. What does that mean? It means nice, sweet. Sometimes we're not very kind. We're not very sweet. And kindness is it's being thoughtful of things. It's talking about things. We live in a world where people don't even like to compliment people. They feel like it's some kind of weak thing. But, but it's not. It's love. It's godly love. You know, like when, and, and by the way, it goes both ways. It's learning how to let someone be nice to you. Like, for instance, if someone says to you, if someone says something kind to you, you need to learn how to be kind back. 
So if someone says to you, I just want to let you know, man, you're a great friend and I really appreciate being with you, you don't go. I don't even know. Wow. Okay. Thanks, I guess. Uh, people are so strange like with, with this. Like, that's kindness that's given to you if we've got love in our life. Why don't we go, thank you for saying that. That's so kind of you to say that. I, that really made me feel good. I appreciate it. I needed that. Thank you so much. That's, that's learning how, as a Christian, to give kindness, to receive it. Make a good habit of complimenting people. Just saying nice things. I mean, there's limits to it. You don't have to go, God, I love your eyes. I mean, that's weird. You know, it's like, geez, back off a little bit. It's like, just say something about the shoes. I mean, say something, any, anything nice that you can think of that's appropriate. But yeah, learn how to be kind because it says it right here. Love is patient, is kind. So it says two things love is, if you're taking notes, patient and kind. Then it says some things that love is not. Love is not jealous. You can open up Instagram and some Christian is going to be talking about comparison, the killer of comparison and all this kind of stuff, comparing your highlight reel or your, your ordinary to people's highlights. I mean, this is like, I get it. Like, that, that's great. But the Bible doesn't really talk about comparison so much like that, but it does talk about jealousy a lot. And that's what comparison is. Really down on the inside, it's, it's looking at something that someone has that is different than yours, and it's the inability to deal with it. So you're, you're jealous of something that someone has that you don't have. Learn how to just be content. Love is content. Yeah. It's learning how to be content with who you are. You can't change who you are overnight anyway, so why not just be happy with what God has given you? Right now, we can have a desire to grow and improve and to learn and to be better tomorrow than we are today, but we can't change anything just like that. So stop being jealous. It also says love is not arrogant. So it says, it's patient and kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. So it's not, it doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. That whole attitude of no one talks to me like that. Well, that's, I mean, that's just not love. Saying that is not love. And by the way, if you want to defend yourself like that, then God will go like this. You want to defend yourself? Literally, the Holy Spirit will say, you go ahead and defend yourself because you can either do that or you can let me do it for you. Who wants the Holy Spirit going like this to you when you're trying to defend yourself? I, I don't. I know this, that in my life, people say stuff about me all the time that I never say anything back because I'm like, I'm just, I've tried it and it's like, I'm not gonna spend my life defending myself when the Holy Spirit will do such a better job than me. I'll just let him be my defender and stand up for me in my life, amen? I'll consume myself with loving him and loving people the right way and let him do the talking. It says it's not, Jealous, it's not arrogant, it's not touchy. My gosh, why do we have to be so touchy? You didn't even say hi when you came in the door. <laughs> people do this. And I mean, I mean, this, this is something that people get in fights about at, at their jobs. Like they work together a day. You didn't, say hi, you didn't say hi to me when you came in the door. And that's, somebody say touchy. Stop being so touchy. Stop, start getting in love, in the love of God. Stop being so moody all the time. Do, you know, 
when we have this attitude of, oh, not today. Don't talk to me. Like, no, not today. I can't deal with this today. Well, what's so different about your today than someone else's today? It's like everyone is having a today at some point. If we all did that all the time, no one would be able to talk to each other. We got to look at someone next to you and say, get over yourself. I mean, my gosh, we got to, at some point, we got to start doing what this book says. We stop being so touchy about everything. They didn't invite me. I didn't get invited to the party. You're touchy is what you are. You're touchy. Stop being so touchy. Oh, yeah. Pastor Justin, oh, wait, what'd you do? You, you gave me my phone. Yeah, Pastor Justin, give it up for Pastor Justin. Always on the move. Always on the move, my, my man. Yeah, backup plan. Mm. Yeah, power up. Let's go. Yeah, Pastor Anthony. I got some pastors up in this jugger. They're good. Okay. So, love is not touchy. It's not resentful. Resentful is holding and harboring. Just, my gosh, learn how to forget. Prove it. Prove you're sorry. <laughs> touchy, too. You ever, you ever think about touchy? People that are touchy over every little thing. What I say? It's not what you said. <laughs> well, what was it then? It's the way. The way you said it. Well, what way did I say it? If you don't know, I can't help you. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just we're touchy, just over every little thing. My Lord, we're resentful. We don't want to forgive people. We do this, guys. We do, the people in this room. We don't want to forgive people. Aren't Christians supposed to be the example of someone, of just letting something go? Someone makes, right, just letting it go. Do it immediately. Yeah, but this is different. No, it's not. It's not different at all. But this is the big one. No, it's not, it wasn't. It's, you're making it one. Don't be resentful because we're not acting in love. There's no justifying this kind of behavior. The Bible speaks so clearly. It says it's not happy about evil. <clears throat> that means love defends what's right and craves what is good. It says love bears all things, believes all things, hopes in all things, endures all things. And then finally, it, said, it says love does not end. And there's a powerful, powerful revelation here about love not ending that I just want to close with. Here's the idea. In verse 13, it says, now, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. After mentioning all of these power-ups, it says faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. So it's saying in, in all of these incredible things that are mentioned, faith, 
Hope and love are the top three above prophecy, above word of knowledge, above teaching, you know, all these incredible miracles. Faith, hope, and love. And it says above faith and hope is love. And it is higher than any of those. I was really asking myself why. Those are all such incredible values. Faith, hope, and love. How do you put one above the, the other? And here's what the Lord told me. He said, in your Bible, the Bible calls Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. So faith is not as great as love because Jesus already ended that by becoming the finisher. He completed our faith that by putting our faith in him, he finishes what we couldn't finish on our own. And that will ultimately lead us to be with him in heaven someday. The Bible calls Jesus our living hope. So forevermore, hope is embodied in the person of Jesus. We're not gonna have to hope for anything in heaven. We're gonna have full access to God and his presence. But love, woo, God is made of the stuff. That is what it, uh, is gonna be our currency in heaven. Love is gonna be the language that we speak. It's gonna be our day-to-day -day activity. All the matter that heaven is composed of is composed of pure love. It is eternal. That is why when at the middle of 1 Corinthians, when it says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. What is it saying? It's saying that the gifts that we deeply crave are only for this earth. As a matter of fact, it says it's like looking in a mirror. This earth is in the gifts in this earth are like looking in a mirror and seeing darkly a reflection. It says, but when we get to heaven, it's going to be like looking clearly at someone face to face. So it's saying that all the wonderful gifts that we crave and the power ups that we want in this life are a mere image that point toward what heaven is going to be. There will be no prophecy in heaven. There will be no discernment in heaven. We're not going to need it. We're going to have unaccessed, unfiltered ability to be in the presence of God. <clears throat> so those things will pass away, but love will remain. So what it's saying is why not get in on the love part now and learn how to love better now. And by the way, I want to let you know that love should never be a thing that you go, oh, we don't need the gifts. The Bible's saying that love's better than the gifts, so let's don't have them. No, it's saying, no, have them, desire them. But let the prerequisite for the gifts be living in proper love. So once we start loving correctly, then we can start talking about how the gifts can be life-changing for us. So I hope this was encouraging for, for you today, and I hope it, it really built you up. Um, you know, the Mario, Super Mario teaching today. Uh, and I, ho I hope you leave here uh, feeling like love is important for you. Christian love is important in your life. And I hope that they become the prerequisite for you to move to another level in your relationship with Jesus. But if you would bow your heads and close your eyes today, even those that are watching online, I would like to invite you right now uh, to be able to, to meet Jesus and to know Jesus. And I'm gonna give a, a simple invitation. I'm gonna count to three. And I uh, I do this, I mean, you just never find a place in the Bible that tells you how to do this. There's really no altar calls in the Bible. It's not, uh, I'm not following a format when I do what I'm doing, praying each week. But I think the format of the reason that I talk to people like this is I think that it's important to know that the Bible says that if we confess Jesus before men, 
then God will acknowledge us when we're in his presence. But if we reject him in front of people, God is gonna reject us. The Bible also says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I think when you put those ideas together, that's the reason in moments like this, I like to ask people to make a decision because it's like, how long are we going to ignore? Like Revelation chapter three, verse 20, when it talks about Jesus standing at the door knocking. It's the door of our heart. How long are we gonna let him just stand there before we invite him to have relationship with us and take his place on the throne of our heart? That's the question I'm putting out to you today. If you need Jesus to be the Lord of your life, when I count to three, I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand. And that's just a call to action, that's what it is. So I'm asking you to respond to the Holy Spirit. He's the one that's speaking to your heart. It's not my words, it's him speaking to your heart that's gonna make you know you need to surrender your life to Jesus. So on three, lift your hand. Those that are watching online, type in the chat. I'm raising my hand, I'm lifting my hand. And, and actually physically lift your hand, two on three. One, the Bible says now is the time of salvation. Two, I believe every person that's here has been drawn here by the power of the Holy Spirit for this moment. Three, hands up all over the building. That's, that's you. Every section, there's hands going up all over this building. Every single section, people reaching out for the Lord. Thank you so much. I believe people are doing that online as well. If you could pray this prayer with me out loud. Say, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. I'm turning away from the old life. Walking into a brand new life with you, Lord. Help me to live in your love. Show me what godly love truly is so I can be patient, so I can be kind, so I can have understanding, so I won't be puffed up, I won't be jealous. I'll learn how to reflect Jesus in everything I do. Thank you that you died for my sins and rose again so I could have eternal life. I'll serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, could we give God a great praise today? Amazing day. The presence of the Lord is here. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.